Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. And Christina. Last time we talked about resist what resistance means to us, and today, scriptural resistance is on the table. So ladies, where do you see scriptural warrant for resistance? I feel like there's some of it everywhere in scripture. I mean, the whole story of Jesus entering into our reality is resisting the narrative, right, of fallenness, of brokenness that we ourselves created through Adam and Eve. So I think I think it's all over the place, but particularly there's a lot of it going on in the book of Judges. So oh, first, yeah. first oh, yeah. of all, that's my book. Like I <laughs> I really like this book of the Bible. Um, I mean, you know, everyone's doing right in their own eyes. Uh Uh-oh, little T truth everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. then you've got these prophets and judges that are raised up who are each of them flawed in their own way. Some narratives more expanded than others. But in this narrative of Deborah, there's a really powerful testament to resistance that is bold. And that's the story of Yael and Sisera. Um, And I'm really, really digging that narrative, particularly. I mean, not not just because the lady gets a tent peg and drives it through the (laughs) evil general's hand, um, but mostly because Yael is, as a woman, you know, she's like the bottom of the totem pole, right? And to the people who will be reading this narrative later, she's a Gentile, has no inheritance, in the holy set apart peoples. And Deborah, everyone presumed she was prophesying about herself when she said to the commander Barak, like, man, you ain't gonna get the glory. This is gonna go to a woman, which is the same as a dog in some Jewish cultures. But here, here we have this incredible story. It's short, but it's valuable where you see Yael knows, she knows that this is a manifestation of oppression rolling up into her house and she's going to do something about it. And I I really believe (laughs) that her narrative is just as valuable as those of the other judges in the book, because the Lord used her, someone you would never imagine as the hero of a story was really Mm -hmm. used to be the one to truly actually, I mean, physically defeated the enemy of that day. That's really good. How about you, Christina? So, you know, often when I'm thinking about this idea of resistance, I'm inclined to always think about what's happening in the household of faith. That's where my mind goes to. And the the narrative that comes out to me as as I've been meditating on this is from um, Galatians chapter two. And it's uh, when Paul confronts Peter. And so in this narrative, you have Peter basically backtracking or peddling over the freedom um, that Christ has given us. And it's a freedom that in in one way is uniquely expressed in kind of the multi-ethnic, multicultural nature of the gospel itself. And so Peter's behavior of acting as if he can't be with the uncircumcised Mm -hmm. is is grounds for a gospel violation in and of itself. Mm. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you have Paul who sees this as an act worthy of direct confrontation. And Christians are kind of queasy a little bit about confrontation. <laughs> um, 
but but it's it's incredibly important. One, it was important for the the believers who were um, not of Jewish heritage to know um, that they were truly in the faith, even though they didn't meet this cultural criteria. Amen. It was important for Peter, the person who was confronted to know, oh, no, no, you're misstepping the gospel in and of itself, which is an expression of love. So resistance is a means of grace. Correction is a means of grace. And even even correction that makes us feel a little bit like, you know, queasy or, you know, does that seem harsh? Correction is good for us. It is really, really good for us. And and the the powerful thing about this is if you think about the life of Peter, you know, Peter, if you go back to Acts, you know, Peter is the person that God gives a very specific cultural immersion task to do, which is to rise and to kill and to eat that which he thought was unclean. So he had this he had this very bloody, intentional, kinesthetic, multicultural task that he had to do. And yet we find him in Galatians simply taking the gospel and making it legalism by saying, oh, it's the gospel plus this culture. And so we have to resist that. And when I look at today's political climate and um, the trauma of election, (laughs) the election, presidential election season, Mm -hmm. um, what I saw was very uh, robust forms of legalism where it was Christianity plus something else. And here, Paul is protecting the purity and the focus of the church by confronting his, no doubt, Christian brother Peter and mm-hmm. saying, we can't do that. We can't do that. There's there's no place for racism in Christ's gospel. Man, amen. And Paul mm-hmm. confronted him to his face. That's what Paul said. I mean, like he was really very bold. Um, with it. And I love that you said that we, the church often is kind of a little queasy, you know, and leery about confrontation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that kind of, that to me smacks of um, a majority culture, you know, or, and, and to be more specific, a white suburban middle-class view of people who are, don't experience oppression. I think that when you are oppressed, you have no choice but to confront you know, because uh, that you're 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 confined, you know, by this, and you're constrained, you know, by this, and so and you're trying to get free, you know, and so in order to do that, you know, power concedes nothing is what Frederick Douglass taught us, and you know, and he's being recognized more and more according to our president, and <laughs> you know, and so so this is we, we have the podcast, yeah. <laughs> We have to take this by force, right? And so, so I love that you brought that up, and I love your example, uh, Michelle, about uh, Jael. Oh my gosh, she's often, you know, like a f- forgotten figure, which actually kind of segues into what I found uh, in the scriptures. Of course, like as you said, Michelle, it's really everywhere. But I do want to really highlight, I think, two women that are often forgotten. Um, and not spoken of, and they're actually named um, by name in the scriptures. And I'm I'm pulling from Exodus one, fifteen to twenty one, and I'm talking about the Hebrew uh, midwives, you know. Uh, and so here's I'm going to give some context here. So the context is that there was a new pharaoh over Egypt who saw how numerous and mighty the Hebrew people were, and he was overcome with fear and xenophobia. Um, I'm sure that sounds a little familiar. And he put the Hebrew people into slavery, forced labor, 
not to be confused with chattel slavery. Now, under this oppression, the Hebrew, pe- the Hebrew people continued to multiply. So um, he feared that one day the Hebrew men would join a foreign, foreign army and fight against Egypt and liberate themselves. God forbid they get free, right? And so, so Pharaoh <laughs> decreed genocide right? And ethnic cleansing of the Hebrew males. He commanded the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, to kill the Hebrew boys as soon as they were born alive. Now, Shifra and Pua, they feared God and they refused to do such an evil thing in the sight of the Lord. So when Pharaoh saw that, man, the Hebrew boys, they're alive and they're multiplying. He confronted uh, Shifra and Pua saying, why have you done this? And let, um, and let the children, male children live. And they answered him saying, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come. And so they resisted evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they resisted the evil command that their Pharaoh decreed and they let the boys live. Whenever man's command, as we talked about in the first episode, whenever man's command is contrary to God's command, we must resist uh, those. We must resist those commands. And so they thought it better to actually obey God and not man. And so we cannot permit any law that will cause us to sin against God. So what Shifra and Pua did was a mighty act. It was great in the sight of the Lord. And we know that he blessed that because uh, the scriptures talks about how God dealt with them and he rewarded them. For their faithfulness to him, he rewarded them with families of their own. Mm. So um, I think and that's so powerful and has really real biblical theological implications, you know, right? And so I think sometimes we don't often see like, man, these women were the ones that actually, but through God's providence, kept, you know, the Hebrew lineage intact, right? And then in chapter two, Pharaoh's daughter, you know, is, is, is very, uh, very much instrumental in this too, you know? So, uh, so that for me is what, you know, I think about those midwives and I think about the fact that we also, our tagline, we're talking about being midwives of culture, you know, trying to steward, you know, what God has given us and doing so um, by God's grace through grace and truth. And so, uh, so yeah, so those are my examples and I love that they're named. Okay. (laughs) They are named. It's not just Hebrew wives, Shifra and Pua named and they, and God was so pleased with them. I think it also speaks to some story of vocation here is available, right? The idea, the understanding that there is space for people to do more than even what we would think, oh, only those who have been called a prophet, called a judge, called a leader, etc. Only those who have been anointed in that way can be the ones who lead a resistance. But Really, these stories speak directly to, one, accountability and confrontation of the prophets and the apostles, right? And two, they speak to the understanding that any vocation itself plays a part in God's plan for the beauty and unity of his creation. And three, it speaks to the idea that sometimes, and specifically in Yael's case, Sometimes you don't even have to be trained in the thing that you must do. Uh, So with the midwives, their testimony is they, in their vocations, actually did their job the right way. They did their job the holy way. Between Peter and Paul, you saw 
a commitment to because we have this law and the story of the Lord. And because, like Christina said, I love how the vision comes into play, right? The Lord gave Peter this vision and you're going to back away from a thing that God said because of what people around you say. Um, and then in the case of Sisera and Deborah, Barak and Yael, you're looking at a woman who wasn't no soldier. And so here we are with these, uh, it's more of a, a widespread opportunity to practice resistance, whether it smacks you in the face and that's what wakes you up, right? <laughs> or whether right. you're awakened by worship or someone else's story. I mean, we have to wonder, how did the midwives know that God was real, you know, that he mm-hmm. was the God to follow instead of their Pharaoh? I mean, they would have been raised to worship they're Pharaoh, but mm-hmm. here they are honoring God. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of space there to move beyond the general, oh, only people who desire to be activists can participate in activism. I think mm. stories speak differently. Yeah, yeah. You know, re- repenters are resistors, right? So if you think about mm-hmm. what it means to be a repenter, a person who is is turning away and turning to that's a process of resisting, right? So we, we are resisting that which in ourselves um, puffs itself up against the authority and goodness of God. We also resist uh, that in society and in cultures and in our family and in our church. We, we are constantly resisting through this act of repentance, which is kind of the one of the signature qualities of what it means to be a Christian, that we're in this constant space of transformation. Um, and it's not a position of, of, of self-righteous um, pointing out that which is wrong out there and not acknowledging what's wrong within us. But this is something that we do, we do simultaneously, right? And so as a person who knows that they're broken and, is, and desperately needs grace, as we get closer to that grace and we get engulfed by that grace, we can see that brokenness in ourselves, but also in our society and in culture and in our country and in our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that repentance creates it. It fuels that resistance of anything that puffs itself up. Right. Mm-hmm. That says yeah. my way is the better way. Right. Uh, instead of God's way. And so um, I think there's a real beauty in it, and there's a great deal of empowerment and liberty that the Christian has in embodying the the idea of being a resistor, right? And so that when you think about the fact that we are a part of the royal priesthood, so Michelle, when you were mentioning like this is this wasn't their vocation, right? This is they weren't they weren't soldiers, but I would say yeah, they, they were soldiers, <laughs> right? I would say she was a soldier. She she wasn't a soldier in the most in the most earthly sense, right? But um. Yeah, like we are in the army of the Lord. And so I, I, I pulled that out of my own early church upbringing. Right. So I do see Christians and, and for that matter, even more specifically, black Christian women mm. as soldiers in the army of the Lord and who often confuse people to pieces. Like they don't even know what to do with black women. Um, <laughs> they don't. We don't have to have we don't have to have the vocational label. And we're just kind of like, that's not right. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of as a way of being for our own personal survival and love for others that are around us. So anyway, repenting and resisting is what I'll be chewing on for the rest of the day. Now I'm going to be singing, I'm a soldier <laughs> in the army and alive all day. Yes. With that clap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that double clap. 
The double clamp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is so good. That is so good. I think that's why I think this whole idea of like resistance is just like, I, it's not foreign. I think, I think it's fair f- for me to say that for all of us, I don't think it's a foreign concept for us, right? Um, right. as you pointed out, uh, Christina with the fact that, man, repenters are resistors. Like that is just so clear, concise and very true, right? So just even in the spiritual sense as Christians, that's what we're doing every day. Hopefully you're preaching that gospel to yourself. You're getting on your knees and repenting <laughs> to God. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> repenting to him for your own pride, your own self-righteousness, resisting the evil within, right? I mean, that's first and foremost, right? And then resi- resisting the evil from without, right? That comes yeah. in to our sphere, you know, and resisting the devil as uh, yeah. James tells us to do. So, uh, so yeah, so there is that sense, but then there is a sense in which as black women, we, we embody this resistance, mm-hmm. you know, um, in, in so many ways, I think, um, even, even among our own people, that's, you know, uh, with black men, maybe even with other black women who want to maybe, um, confine us or even box us in, you know, in that ways. And within obviously majority culture, within white church culture um, context, I think we're always Mm -hmm. resisting these faux binaries, you know, Mm -hmm. about what Mm -hmm. it means to be, say, a woman Um, or, well, you're not quite this woman. So you're, I don't know, your womanhood is then put into question. (laughs) So, you know, as you said, we don't, people don't really know what to to do with us. And so, mm-hmm. and I think that confusion can, we can internalize that if we're not mm-hmm. careful. Mm-hmm. And I think we're always having to resist that, mm-hmm. that the, the, the idea that we are an enigma, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and instead of maybe, or maybe owning it, what we can do is own it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't put me in a box, you know, um, or like Lauren Hill taught us, you know, I break out of all of your boxes, you know, like you can't contain me, you know? Um, and so I think that's, I think that can be powerful. And I think that's something that, so I, I don't know, sometimes around the conversation of resistance, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is just what I do though. Like you know, <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, this is just right. like every day. That's what I, I'm doing. I, I'm resisting uh, the uh, the temptation. You know, I think in our various platforms that uh, the three of us have. I, for me, I'm resisting the temptation for people to to put me in a diamond encrusted muzzle. No, mm-hmm. no, I won't. I must speak <laughs> what God has given me to say. You know, and those are sometimes those are really hard things, you know, to say and do, but we have to do those things, you know. And so so resisting that fear of man, you know, that that's a snare, you know, and I think that's that's sometimes that's a temptation for all of us. I don't care. you know, I don't care who you are, how much you resist that. That's real. Like, that's a very real um, sin. I think that everybody grapples with from one degree to another. Um, But I think we're always resisting in that sense, you know, Um, and then resisting these cultural classifications of who we should be. Um, as black women and not to, not to even mention the intersecting identities that we deal with, right. Mm-hmm. On a day-to-day basis. So, uh, so I don't know. I, I think it's just, I think resistance is such a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that, that we have been called and chosen by the, the greater one, you know, who is the greatest resistor of all death could not hold Jesus Christ down. 
Mm-hmm. He could not. And he got up out the grave, you know, and, with, and gave us resurrection life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not any more resurrected than we will be when Christ returns, you know, or when we go to meet him, in which I would love for him to return even now. <laughs> but, I mean, come on, Jesus. Come on, God. We're ready. You know? But really, I think um, I think that that he has to be our example and we got to get rid of this domesticated Jesus. I mean, I, I just yeah, we, we just we have to get rid of this domesticated Jesus so that we can really speak with nuance and power into this culture that mm-hmm. is so desperate and needs answers. They are asking existential questions about what's really happening in our world. And they don't have a context for it. They don't. Mm. But, you know, because the Christian worldview actually has that answer. Um, but we we got to take Jesus. You know, we got we got to see him for how he's represented himself in the scriptures um, and not making him into our own image. But I think that's something that we have to always remember, remind ourselves of, man, look at the way that Jesus resisted, you know, the labels that people tried to put on him. Uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of where I draw from, too. So. So yeah, yeah. I, think that's a good, I think that's a good perspective, not just to have from in terms of looking at the whole story of scripture, but also looking mm-hmm. at a very specific example of Jesus. And I'm yeah. wondering, you know, what yeah. are the pieces of his story that I mean, Akimini just laid out a lot, but I'm wondering what what are we seeing as the specific pieces of the story of Jesus that draw us into resistance. I mean, so for me, I think immediately about the difficulty of just keeping on, keep on, keeping mm. on. The old folks were just saying, hold on a little while longer and keep mm. your eyes on the prize or ain't going to mm. let nobody turn me around. And I'm like, I don't know how they did it. Because what we have to be honest <laughs> about is that they did have it much worse than we did. did. Um, And I think about the black women before us who were considered worthless unless or until the massa got horny. And we, we are descended from and even still share in the pain, the struggle and the resilience of people gone before us who, man, I don't know how they did it. And so I'm looking at the example of Christ, like, wait a minute, bruh, but you, you got, and you, you remember your home in glory, right? Come At on. some point, even Jesus limiting himself is a testament to me that there, there is a reason, there is a way to continue. So I look at his suffering. I look at his death, the thing that came before resurrection, that came, the thing that completed the faith, um, that will complete the faith that he's mm-hmm. given me. What are the pieces of his story that inspire you all beyond this sort of everyday pain, everyday turmoil? Because it's there, but mm-hmm. how, how are we strategizing for hope, which is another important part of the story of scripture too? You know, Jesus himself gives us our script, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus gives us our directions, our marching orders, um, our waiting orders, mm-hmm. um, on how to engage a broken world. And, um, and Jesus, Jesus himself does not do this in the ways that we typically think about, right? So Jesus mm-hmm. does not come as a warrior. Jesus comes as a babe mm-hmm. and, uh, to a broken, lowly teenage mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
the, the way that God and God's divine wisdom has chosen to show um, the beauty and strength of God's power and love has always been through self-sacrifice and humility. Right. And, right. and so when people hear Christians, I imagine someone's going to listen to this and think like, oh, why are they talking about resistance? You know, haven't you looked at the Westminster Confession and, you know, you should, you're supposed to be, <laughs> yes, yes, I you, have. Know, you need to be content and, you know, and, right. and, and I, and I would point them to the fact that what I, I'm not talking about um, a worldly sense of resistance. That's right. That's right. I'm talking right. about following the model of Jesus who mm -hmm. demonstrated this by his own blood, That's right. um, mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. sitting with and eating with the socially marginalized That's right. and victimized, um, by, by embody, embodying the type of way of being that small children ran towards Jesus, right? This is the creator of all that was and is, and yeah. small children were not intimidated to come unto him. And that model of how Jesus walked and lived and communed with, with people, I think that teaches us how to resist, right? Wow. That we, we resist in love, we resist in grace, and we resist in a way that points, in a kind of Christocentric way, right? We, our resistance points to Jesus um, as the great intruder into sin, right? And the great resister, um, of all things that puff themselves up against God's authority. And so, um, so, so looking at Jesus as our model, right? As our model of what it means to resist in love and self-sacrifice and generosity, mm -hmm. um, and, and empathy to those who we have deemed not worthy of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, so that, that's what I get from, uh, looking at Jesus and knowing, knowing also that Jesus is with me, right? So Jesus, we're not alone. And resisting, we are. He is resisting through us. Mm -hmm. Every every good work is coming from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so, when I resist sin, when I resist self righteousness, when I resist the temptation to ignore the suffering of those who are neighbors and foes, I am not doing that. It is Christ who does that through me and in wow. me. And so, I'm not alone. I have someone to look at, and I have someone who's living in me that Amen. is doing the work of resistance. That's right. That's right. Sealed with the Holy Spirit who's empowering you to do this. You know, we can't do it. That's actually how, that's how our ancestors got over though. Like, you know, I think that's something that, that a lot of people want to strip, you know, the core, um, the central yeah. point of yeah. Christianity that brought about the civil, that, that brought about our rights in this country. Let's that's just keep it real. <laughs> Let's keep it funky for real. You know, because, <laughs> because everybody want to keep on slamming respectability politics and yeah, it's warranted, but guess what? we did get our rights. So let's just be honest about that, you know, and, and it was their faith, you know, that spurred them on and that's how they got over. And that's the only way we going to get over now. Right. And so, so for me, a very salient example from Jesus's life, because, you know, I kind of laid down a little BT, I guess, a little biblical theology, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was just what I do. And so uh, I'm thinking <laughs> about Jesus and how he turned up in the temple. He was turned angry. Up. Okay. Yep. He was angry, righteously angry. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's see, I think Luke 19, 45, John 2, 13, uh, 22 and actually all the gospels that they actually record, uh, this scene where Jesus entered the temple, um, the house of his father. And upon seeing the money changers and the merchants conducting business in God's holy place, 
he was filled with so much zeal, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. people were not, you know, were not um, reverencing this holy God, his holy father. Um, and so that righteous anger consumed him and he made that whip and started flipping tables and whipping folks out of the temple, you know, who were <laughs> violating. That is what happened, you know? And I think, um, I think sometimes we want to use that as an excuse to get book wild and, you know, like, don't forget Jesus is God. Okay. You, you not, um, but, but, uh, you know, cause we like to see, but Jesus went wild. So I can, no, calm down. Okay. Um, but I think for me, that's, that is a very, a very clear example of resistance right there where Jesus is like, no, no, no. I I have put above all things, you know, um, God's name. Okay. And his word are above all things. And, and he was very zealous, uh, for God's glory, uh, for God's, uh, for, for the, the respect that he was due. And so, uh, I think that to me speaks of holy resistance right there. And sometimes it doesn't always look the way that we expect. It's like, dang, Jesus was mad. He kicked these people out. He made a whip and kicked them out. Like that's, that, that speaks to what true resistance actually looks like. And it's holy in nature. Um, and you can see that there's something distinct, you know, about it. You know, and so there, there's a difference, you know, between holy resistance and just like ratchet rebellion. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not redemptive in any way. That's always pointing to self. Right. Um, but, mm-hmm. but I think a holy resistance <laughs> is going to have a transcendent element, you know, like where it's like, man, there's something a bit different about the way these people are resisting, you know, and there's something that's going to God willing, maybe t- last you stand the test of time and speak to us in our uh, current you know, context um, and where we're Which in. is why really that's the reason why we have to have our resistance grounded in scripture, because let's face it, what I do that I hope the Lord is calling holy resistance, I can point to 2,000 people who would testify that I'm participating in ratchet rebellion. Let's face it. Right. I mean, we have to be able to say there will be, the Lord told all the prophets, I'm sending you out, you're going to speak, and they're going to kill you. I love you. Keep on. (laughs) You will be despised, rejected. And and they yeah. were quoting God. Yeah. So yeah. we have to know. We have to know where we grounded in. Because the yeah. Lord might just hand you a whip. And what, yeah. what you gonna do? You gonna sit back, not do nothing? <laughs> it look bad? Yeah. I mean, we've all walked through those um all the different pieces of hate mail and folks okay. showing up at meetings talking about I want her head on a platter or else. Uh, oh, so we know we know what it's like to be labeled ratchet rebellion when we're actually yeah. <laughs> practicing biblical resistance. And that's why we have to be grounded in God. We have to. And we can't let nobody turn us around because mm-hmm. if we do, God will turn us right back around and send us right back to the people. <laughs> he will. He'll do right. it. I'm okay. not trying to get turned out by God. I, I mean, I'm not trying. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what, y'all? This was really, really good. So um, so we want to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for your insights. Oh, my goodness. I got repenters are resistors. We got ratchet yeah. rebellion up in here. We're just coming up with our own time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so we're going to keep, we want to continue to keep this conversation going. So uh, next time we are going to look at historical and contemporary examples of resistance. Uh, but in the meantime, we do invite our listeners to tweet us uh, at um, using our hashtag troops table, tweet us your thoughts about um, where you've seen scriptural resistance. And uh, we'd love to keep that dialogue going on Twitter. Um, so thank you so much for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep that conversation going. Follow us on Twitter at Truths Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truths Table is a collaborative effort between the Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. You can learn more about the Reformed African American Network by visiting randnetwork.org. Our producer for the show is Bo York, and we have been your host, Ekemeni, Christina, and Michelle. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. <laughs>